This is Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Emmanuel. I think I'm going to move this lectern. I just slide it over. There we go. Everyone thinks it's big. It'd be great to be my size until you have to buy clothes or stand by a lectern that's a little smaller. I think I'm going to move this. Hopefully, I can move it without destroying everything. Well, good to see you this morning. Thanks to Scott for the opportunity to preach. Will you continue loving me if I give you a little bit of a hard word this morning? Yeah, you'll continue loving me? Praise the Lord. We're going to talk today about one thing. Everybody listening to my voice has one thing. One thing. What do I mean by that? We all have one pattern of sin in our lives that either keeps us from coming to the Lord Jesus if we aren't Christians, or from walking with him as we should if we are Christians. We all have one thing. Now, I want to make you a promise this morning that if you dialogue with me in your mind as I'm speaking for the next half hour, I believe the Holy Spirit, blessed be his name, will reveal to you what your one thing is. I can't do it. The Spirit has to do it. But you'll also see from the text what you need to do about your one thing. One thing. We're going to have three subheadings just to make it organized. We'll look at what Zacchaeus' one thing did to him. What did it do in his life? Secondly, we'll look at what the Lord Jesus, blessed be his name, what Jesus did to uncurl his fingers from around that one thing. And then lastly, we'll look at what he had to do. One thing. Now a text without context is what? A pretext. So let's look at the context of this passage. Jesus, in the last part of his ministry, made three trips up to Jerusalem from Galilee. And this is the third of those three trips. He's headed up to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. And along the way, he had done some notable miracles. He had raised a man named Lazarus 
from the dead. He had also healed two blind men. And Zacchaeus heard about him. So he made a plan. Since he was short and he couldn't get to Jesus because the crowd was large and Jesus had an entourage of about 50 to 100 people, Zacchaeus hatches a plan, a sycamore tree, the type of tree my son would love to climb. It's got a really fat trunk and fat branches and it's really bushy, the leaves. So he hoists himself up on the tree, picks the right spot, and he's looking down, waiting to see Jesus. And that's where the passage picks up. But there's one other interesting contextual thing about this practice. What is a tax collector? Is he or she an IRS agent? I don't know if you've ever had problems with the IRS. (laughs) They're really unfriendly when you owe them money. As long as you send the check, they're all right with you. But the Romans collected taxes in a different way. Basically, they farmed the collection of taxes out to individuals in the province. So the publicani would all gather together once every two years, and the bureaucrats in Rome decided how much they wanted to get from this province. And then they had an auction. Started at maybe 100 million. Someone would say 120 or 125, until they agreed upon a price. And you would say there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the problem. There was some structural injustice worked into the warp and woof of this tax collection system. You see, the publicani, Zacchaeus, paid up front, and Rome got all their money. But then after that, he could collect as much as he could get. So you see that Zacchaeus, at the end of the story, says, If I have defrauded anyone, there was a sin. There's an English word that we don't use as much anymore, but I like it, sycophant. You ever heard that one? Sycophancy. It basically means to flatter someone with lies. And Zacchaeus was a liar to defraud people. He overestimated the amount that they owed. And then he could send the Romans after that person. A case of structural injustice. You know, in some places that word is, uh, you can't really speak about that, systemic or structural injustice. But you know, the Bible doesn't shy away from these issues. It just has a surprise for us in the way it tells us to address them. Yesterday, my son and I went out, we just went to get a hamburger. But just being in the world, sometimes you find situations where there's injustice in the world. Now, he hates for me to say anything to people. (laughs) He says, Papa, you're like MLK or something like that. No, no, no. I just, are you like that? Do you ever find in your life that you come up against systems or structures that are unjust? Zacchaeus was hurting the most vulnerable. You know who gets hurt when there's unjust taxation and war? It's widows, children. Women get hurt. Have you ever encountered this? No, am I the only one? Yeah, I'm sure you have. What do you do when you encounter structural injustice? When you're on your job and you find that there's a ceiling above you, a glass ceiling, a 
bamboo ceiling or some other type of ceiling where because of who you are, perhaps your ethnicity or the way you are, your personality, you can't go any higher. Structural injustice. What about housing? What about the way the police? Police. What do you do? What does the church do? Jesus has a surprising way of dealing with structural injustice. This is just a side note. He loves both the person who is committing the injustice and the person who is suffering from it. Listen to what he says. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It doesn't matter where the lost person is in the system. Jesus loves them and is seeking and saving them. The church never really has the power to address structural injustice directly. But here's the revolutionary thing about Jesus. You do. Each one of us does. And so he comes and he saves lost people like you and me and then sends us back into the world. Isn't that what happened with Zacchaeus? Here was a man who was caught up in the system. Jesus comes and saves him, and then tradition tells us he becomes a wonderful Christian. So I got a challenge for you this morning. We're not going to shout one cause, because if I did, some of you would say, well, I'm not coming back anymore. That's what they would say, Scott. <laughs> that church is all about one cause. But Jesus has a challenge for you, where you are in the world. If you've been saved by Jesus, he sought you and saved you. Be encouraged to go into those structures that are unjust and to change them. Be salt. Be light. Well, I hope I didn't get a little sidetracked there, but it's in the text, you can see. Now, let's look at the thing, what your one thing does to you. The crowd saw that Jesus had gone in to be with Zacchaeus, and they grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Sinner. That word sounds funny on your ears, doesn't it? Does it surprise you? Sinner. Can you say that about yourself this morning? That you are a sinner? Do you know there's a lot of category confusion amongst Christians when it comes to sin? You know what we think about sinners? They are the people over there who do the things I don't do. Isn't that true? Those are the sinners, but not me. But Jesus has come to say that you are the sinner, that I am the sinner. That's what he's showing them by going in to be with Zacchaeus. We all are sinners. You know, I was coming home uh, on the bus the other day, and we passed Central Park North. And for a long time, that area along the top side of the park has been inhabited by drug users. And I saw a woman in a bus stop. She had a chair set up, and she was sweeping the bus stop. She was happily going along, sweeping the bus stop, and, and she sat down in her chair like it was her living room. And I was thinking to myself, isn't that how we think about sinners? Sex workers, murderers, drug dealers, drug users. But Jesus comes to say, you, 
You are the sinner. Me. I'm the sinner. Earlier on in Luke chapter 18, there's a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee comes in like we often do. He comes in before the Lord and he says, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like those people over there. I give tithes. I'm not an adulterer. I live an upright life. The tax collector, Publicani, comes in and he doesn't even look up at God. He, he beats his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Your one thing makes you a sinner. It also fills you with shame. Does anyone know that cycle of resolutions? I'm never going to do that again. And then shame. I did it again. Oh, I'm talking to somebody. It's all right. You don't have to say amen. I know where we are. But resolution. I will never do it again. And then shame. I did it again. Zacchaeus is so unlike the bleeding woman we talked about earlier. She is unclean, but she presses through the crowd. Isn't that how women often are? She doesn't care. She grabs the hem of his garment. But Zacchaeus climbs up into a tree and hides in the bushes. Shame. And what's the result of sin and shame? There's a word here. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Sinners who are full of shame become lost. We're going to talk about this word lost today. I know we don't often use Greek words. I'm going to use a Greek word today. Scott, is that all right? Apollomy. A-P-O-L-L-Y-M-I. Apollomy. Lost. The word has two connotations. The first, irreparably damaged. It's a cheesy illustration, but I'm going to use it anyhow. I like illustrations. Here's a piece of paper. It's probably cut from a tree somewhere out on the west coast, pressed into a piece of paper. It was designed to take ink in a copier or a printer. That's its purpose. That's what it was created for. But if you take this piece of paper and you tear it, it becomes irreparably damaged. And that's what you are without Jesus. That's what I am without him. We're damaged, apollinated, lost. The word has a second connotation. Lost, just, means lost. I was coming to my apartment last week. We live on Manhattan Avenue, and the park is a block away. They have a statue of the Statue of Liberty in Morningside Park. Have you seen it? <laughs> it looks a little cheesy to me, but I guess people like it. Some people climb on it, and they take pictures on it, and <laughs> tourists are looking for it now. I guess it's good for the neighborhood. But a lady came up to me, speaking with a European accent. She said, do you know where Morningside Park is? I was thinking to myself, okay, so the trees are there, and you just pass it around the corner. And <laughs> but have you ever been lost? God is near. Maybe you're even sitting here, and 
God is near, he's close. But you feel lost, far away from him. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, John Newton was one of those people who was deeply involved in structural injustice. I guess if we had a statue of him, it had been torn down by now. But later on in his life, after being a slave trader, and there were all kinds of people involved in the slave trade, but later on in his life, he became a Christian and a pastor. And then he penned that tune, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Why did Peter come up this morning and give the opening words? Why did Soyun and Paolo play? Why did Ellie read so wonderfully? Why did Scott, is he overseeing it all? You know why we're here? There are lost people in the world. We want them to find the Savior, Jesus. Well, that's what your one thing does to you. Here's what Jesus does. Oh, this is good. You have to picture the scene. So Jesus is walking. Around him are people, little kids. He always loved little kids. There are people who are there who are spies who go and take back all of his words and they tell them to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And he's walking with this crowd. Zacchaeus is hiding in the leaves, the tree. And then the master stops at the exact place he needs to stop. And he looks up. How did he look when he looked up? I see some of you on Sunday. You come in here with your game face on, right? Your subway face. The sneaky person in the subway who's coming near you, that face you put on, right? <laughs> or the face you put on when you go to work every morning or go to school where you're just ready for war. And you come on Sunday and it's hard to let it go. And if somebody says, hello, hey, you know, you're a little cautious. Was that the master's face? Oh, no. <laughs> Full of glory, grace, peace. He looks up at Zacchaeus and he smiles. That's where our transformation begins. The, the highest blessing that a Jewish person could imagine. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. There's Jesus looking up at him and he smiles at him. It was like the smell of a newborn baby, like the rain in summertime, like mama's cooking, <laughs> like a kiss on the lips, right? That was the moment his life began to change. He sees me, he looks directly at me with his eyes, smiles at me, and he sees me. That wasn't it. He calls his name. Now, those of us who've had some dramatic training, we would have called his name like this. Zacchaeus! Brother would have fell out of the tree and died before he was saved. Okay? <laughs> That's how I would have done it. How did the master do it? 
Zacchaeus, come on down now. That's colloquial. Come on down, brother. It's time. I have to come to your house. There's an old doctrine we Christians used to talk about a lot. I like old doctrines. I don't care. But I love them. It's called election. Unconditional election. What does that say? You didn't choose God. God chose you. He chose you. And then he called your name. That's what Jesus says. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go out and bear fruit. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says. We need to remind ourselves of these beautiful doctrines from time to time. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Are you here this morning and you've been striving, and you've been straining to get it right? You resolve and then you fall. You try as hard as you can. God chose us, and our salvation rests upon his choice of us. He comes right to where Zacchaeus is and calls him. Then he does another thing. You might miss it <clears throat> if you don't realize <clears throat> excuse me, that Jesus was traveling with a group of people. He says to him, I'm coming to stay at your house. The other day we had a friend come to church, and I made the mistake of telling him, afterwards, you're coming to our house. Well, we don't have a house, we have a small apartment. <laughs> and then I looked over at my wife and I was like, Ooh, did, did I just make a mistake? <laughs> Imagine 75 Galileans, uneducated, guys from the projects or the hood across the railroad tracks coming to your house. That's what Jesus says. I have all these people, they're with me, and we're coming to your house. What are you here with this morning? What are your gifts, your talents, the ways God has uniquely wired you for the kingdom of God? When Jesus calls you, he puts you to work. And we need you in the kingdom. So he goes to his house. And then there's something beautiful in the passage that we might miss. How did a first century Jew show hospitality to another Jew? It wasn't by having a bag of chips at the end of church and a coffee <laughs> or going out to Sakura Park. We try the best we can in these times of a pandemic. It was table fellowship, wasn't it? It was eating together. I'll never forget the experience when I came to the U.S. and I went to college of standing in the cafeteria after my father left me in Michigan and looking out at the cafeteria. And over in one corner were the black kids. Over in another corner were the Asian kids. Over in another corner, the white kids. And I almost had to make a choice. Where am I going to sit? You ever had that experience? But I realized something over time, that each group of people, if you sat with them, you really got to know them. And we were all really alike. When Zacchaeus has fellowship with the master, 
He gets to know him. He feeds on him. There's a show my wife has introduced me to. It's called Dining with the Chef. <laughs> it's a Japanese show. You know the type of show. There's a, a beautiful chef, Rika, and she prepares these beautiful Japanese dishes. And then a clueless American sits down with her. He can't hold his chopsticks properly. And you know, he's asking her what the meal is all about. And they have this wonderful fellowship dining together. They learn about one another. Here's the thing about Jesus. Not only is he the chef and we dine with him, but we dine on him. We feed on him. Later on, Scott will lift up the elements and he'll say, <clears throat> on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. He took the cup. This is my blood shed for the remission of sins. We feed on Jesus. Have you ever seen him crucified on a cross, body battered, bleeding, dying for you, for me, for sinners? If you're lost, you're far away. Please come to him today. Today is the day you hear his voice. Jesus releases Zacchaeus' grip on his one thing by fellowshipping with him. So what does Zacchaeus do after Jesus comes in? Here's another word we don't like so much. We don't hear it so much. He repents. Our brother Mark, who taught a wonderful class this morning, talked about this word, repent. What is repentance? Have you repented? The word has two connotations. In the Hebrew, it means to do this. To turn away from your one thing and ahead in the other direction. In Greek, it means to change your mind. Have you done that about your one thing? It's a substance, it's a relationship, an emotion, some immorality. Have you done that? Have you decided, I'm going to head in the opposite direction. My brother told me about Bitcoin 10 years ago, Tommy. <laughs> Sometimes we talk about cryptos. He told me about Bitcoin 10 years ago. I was a knucklehead. You know what I said? He, he works with computers. He said, Tim, buy a couple of Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Pyramid scheme, I said. <laughs> I didn't buy Bitcoin at that time. Five years later, he called me up. He said, Tim, listen to me, brother. Buy one Bitcoin at this time. It was one Bitcoin. <laughs> Buy one Bitcoin. As does everyone know what Bitcoin is? It's a cryptocurrency. We've all heard about it. I said, nah, no, I'm not buying any Bitcoin. Pyramid scheme, I said. And then a few years ago, he said to me, at this time, Tim, buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. <laughs> 
At that time, I had a son, and I said, you know what, I'm going to teach him how to invest by buying a fraction of a Bitcoin. <laughs> I changed my mind about Bitcoin. Have you done that about sin? The things that used to hold you, things you couldn't do without? Have you changed your mind about it? It's not too late. In fact, the Lord Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 4, when he begins his ministry, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance. There is no salvation without repentance and faith. Stop holding on to that one thing. Let it go and find a new thing in Jesus. <clears throat> Do you see it? The one thing makes you a sinner and lost. Jesus comes along. He looks you in the face. He dines with you and you dine on him. And then you repent. Zacchaeus says in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus says, This day has salvation come to this house. You know, I was just standing the other day and uh, someone here at church came to me and said, You know, Tim, I was really touched by your testimony several months ago. I've been in churches where people sort of dance and shake and do all of those things, just a different type of religion, but they always have something called a testimony service. We don't do that much anymore in more conservative places. May I testify? Can I give you my testimony like Zacchaeus? There's at least one or two of you who are here today who are exactly like this. I was always a thinker. Everybody wanted me to be a basketball player, but I was a thinker. I liked philosophy. And I can remember at an early age, sitting in the Bahamas, under a tree. You don't have the fruit here. It's a different type of fruit. They call it a juju. <laughs> but I remember sitting under that tree and thinking to myself that because I was going through what all teenagers go through with my body changing and everything changing, Maybe death was the way out. Mm -hmm. Anybody ever thought that? That thought sort of slipped into my mind, death. Maybe death is the way out. You know what? Because I didn't reject that thought, I nurtured it. For years it sort of hounded me. Whenever I got into a difficult situation, maybe death is the way out. I got real low. God will humble you. And then in my 20s, I really resolved, maybe death is the final solution for me. But God had mercy on me. Blessed be his name. He showed me the face of Jesus. Not the real face, no, no, no. Spiritually, internally, I saw who Jesus was. And then, I think it was in Central Park, I'm not exactly sure, sitting under a tree, this scripture in Psalm 118 was revealed to my heart. I shall not die, but I shall live 
and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And that's my testimony. God rescued me from death. And if you're here this morning and you've made an agreement with death, or that's your thought, I'm here to say to you, he is able. You know that little song children sing, he's able, he's able, I know he's able. I know he's able to carry me through. What are you struggling with this morning? All of us have a struggle. Do you believe he's able? He's able to take a thief and make him clean. He's able to take a sexually immoral person, make them pure. He's able to take an atheist, make him a believer. He's able to take a man who considers death the only option, make him hope in life. Oh, I wish I could preach this thing, but I'll control myself. He's able, brothers and sisters. Jesus is able. Don't hold on to that one thing. Release it. Get something new. The Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we love you. We worship you, Father. Magnify your name. You are worthy to be praised. There is someone here today, Lord, who needs to find the Savior. We join our hearts together and we ask that you would show them by the power of your Spirit the face of Jesus. And then there's some of us who need to release something. Give us the courage to do it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.